0: Russell Herman died in Marion, Illinois, at the VA Medical Center. In 1994, he was 67 years old, and just a few months after his death, his last will and testament surfaced, and it created quite a stir. Now, he was a veteran, and besides that, he was a carpenter. Apparently, though, he had done very well based on the magnitude of his bequests. Here is what he bequeathed in his will. $2.4 billion to the tiny town of Cave In Rock, Illinois. That's down in southern Illinois. $2.4 billion to the city of East St. Louis. $2.4 billion to every person who has lived in Gallatin County for at least 10 years. $1.5 billion for projects in southeastern Illinois. $2.4 billion for national forests. $6 $6 trillion to the Federal Reserve Board to pay off the national debt. $6 trillion to the U.S. Treasury to get the country back on track. $189 trillion for rehabilitation of states' rights, he labeled it. And then various amounts to restore the railroad system to dredge primary rivers to provide for navigation and prevent flooding. What a benevolent man. His requests, his bequests, totaled some $206 quadrillion, which, by the way, is far more money than has ever been created by mankind ever. Congratulations to you, by the way, if you lived in uh, Gallatin County more than 10 years. I'd be filing for that. In fact, hundreds of people did. But there is a sketch. It seems that the only thing of any value that Herman owned upon his death was joint ownership in a battered 1983 Oldsmobile Tornado. And I don't know what you think of Russell Herman. Honestly, I didn't even know him, and I didn't even know about him until this past week. But Herman's last will and testament reminds me of that level of letdown that you and I are getting used to when it comes to things that are promised and whether or not they actually happen. Run down the list of letdowns that you have that have to do with unkept promises, unmet expectations, outright deceit, and then make a list of something besides politicians You know, like marriage, business, friendship. Just trying to be a a wise consumer? Caveat emptor. Have you heard it? Let the buyer beware. Why? Because someone's selling something, and their goal in selling it is to make a profit. And sometimes that's more at your expense than at your benefit. Beware. So I'm not overly surprised that the erosion of truthfulness has made more people skeptics when it comes to God's promises, too. And that's a problem. Eternity is an area of life where I need to be sure I can rely on truth. You know, it is one thing for me to feel like Sam's Tire Center isn't fulfilling their road hazard guarantee like they're supposed to for my tire that got a a nail in the sidewall and can't be repaired, but I am fine with this now. But when I am looking at where I'm going to spend forever, I need to be sure. Do you? We're in chapter 15 of Genesis. Genesis. Grab your Bibles or your device, wherever it is. Open it up, please, to Genesis chapter 15. And today we're going, continuing through this series in the life of Abraham, Where Will You Go? And that is the question that I really hope you are dealing with week to week. Where will your walk of faith with Jesus take you? Ultimately, where will that journey, that life journey, end See, in this whole chronicle that we read in Genesis of the life of Abraham, that's chapters 12 through 25, by the way, God makes some promises, some promises that are way beyond anything a human could do. This childless old man has been promised that he's going to become a great nation, that his offspring are going to possess the land of Canaan, that every family on earth is going to be blessed through him. Up to this point, his name Abram means exalted father. God is going to rename him to Abraham, father of a multitude. That's not off to such a great start so far, is it? What keeps a man like this in his sandals from just completely giving up on God? He's left his homeland to live in tents in a land that's supposedly his. And so far, Abraham doesn't have a deed for one acre of land in Canaan. He's been told that he'll become a great nation. So far, Abraham doesn't have one child. He's been told that all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. Can't see that happening either. You run ahead to the book of Hebrews to review his family's story, and you'll read these words in chapter 11, verse 13. That these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and having greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's Abraham. See, God's plans for him were much further out than just Abraham. God was setting the course for something that wouldn't happen for thousands of years, and so Abraham's eyes were focused on something greater, something he couldn't see, something he hoped for but didn't have. Not yet. Frankly, we need help, don't we? The journey of life is tough to begin with. Ask any teething baby. It's tough. And then all along the way, we get faced with challenges, reminding us of our own limitations. We get distracted. We get tempted to give up. Didn't see that coming. You ever say that? How many of you have started with your walk in the Lord and you found this out? Like marriage, when Tough times come, and they will come. Didn't see that coming. Didn't see that job layoff coming. Didn't see that person in my life dying. Didn't see that relationship tanking. Didn't see my health falling apart. Didn't see that bout with depression, with abuse, that struggle with addiction, that loss of a pregnancy, that unfaithful spouse, that outright mean attack on my faith. Didn't see that virus coming that would turn the culture sideways. So, you see, Abraham's journey, I think, has a lot of similarities to ours, doesn't it? And today, by looking at his story, I want us to see this, that God gives us help. He gives us helps to have confidence in his promises. That's the big idea for this message. If you get that this morning, mission accomplished. So let's turn to Peanuts, the source of all theological wisdom. Lucy and Linus are staring out the window, watching it rain. Lucy says to, to Linus, Boy, look at it poor. What if it floods the whole world? Linus, in his wisdom, says, It won't. In Genesis 9, God promised Noah that it would never happen again. The sign of that promise is the rainbow. So Lucy's looking back outside the window with a big smile. She says, You've taken a great load off my mind. And Linus says... Sound theology has a way of doing that. Well, today we're going to look at some sound theology. I hope if you've got a load on your mind, it will take that off. And that is that you can trust God. He's dependable, amen? And he gives us some helps along the way to set us at ease when we need it most. For Abraham and for us. That came in the form of a promise, a sign, and a covenant in chapter 15 of Genesis. I want to take a brief look at each one of those, talk about how God has done that same thing for us, and then I want us to step out of here and face the rest of this day and the rest of this week with confidence in the Lord. Everybody up for that? Let's go. The only way that could get better is to have donuts. All right, the first thing is a promise. Remember, Abraham has as we've read before, just given up a chance for more wealth and power, and he has chosen instead to trust God. He still has God's promise that he's going to become a great nation. He will have descendants, offspring. But time is marching on. Abraham is now 85 years old, and he still doesn't have a son or a daughter. God has promised him that his offspring are going to own the land he's living in. So far, nothing has sprung off. Maybe there's a little worry here. He's been hearing God's promises, but he hasn't been seeing God's answers. He had great faith, we know that, but he needed some help. Apparently, this tells me, apparently, you can be a person of great faith and still have a need for God's encouragement from time to time. Is that possible? God knows that. Chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Eliezer's going to inherit Abraham's wealth. He's not Abraham's son. He is a servant or a slave in his household. That's who's going to get it. Verse 4. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Now, when God says that something is going to happen, you can call that a promise. He's not going to make a mistake. When God says this will happen, you can bank on that. I call that a promise. You know, God didn't make promises just to Old Testament heroes. Peter says in 2 Peter 1 that he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, right now, just where you're sitting, whether you're at home online or here with us personally, how many of those promises can you think of that God has made? Just think of one, all right? And turn someone next to you, this shouldn't take long at all, and tell them one of the promises that God has made. Would you do that? Won't take but a few seconds. <clears throat> I hope that what you're having trouble with is which one should I share, right? I mean, wouldn't it be a neat project to just go through the whole Bible and count all of the promises in God's Word? That'd be a great project to work on this week. Wait, Dr. Everett Storms of Ontario has already done that. Shoo! (laughs) He counted, get this, a total of 8,810 promises in the Bible. 7,487 promises are from God to man. About 85% of all the promises of the Bible, 7,487. Promises like, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. I will never leave you or forsake you, he says. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be chained. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me. The one who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There, there's a Whitman sampler of some of those promises. The Bible itself even reminds us that God is faithful to keep his word. Hebrews 10 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Paul ends up 1 Thessalonians 5 saying, faithful is he who calls you. He will bring it to pass. Those are just a few of some of his very great, very precious promises. And by the way, it's impossible for God to lie. Those aren't always easy to believe, though, are they? Let alone to remember. Sometimes they seem too good to be true. Sometimes they seem too big for anybody to fulfill. Sometimes we think back in life and go, I've seen too many broken promises. Several years ago, there was a a huge survey done, and then it was put into a book called The Day America Told the Truth. Ninety-one percent of Americans confess they lie on a regular basis. Ninety-one percent. At least that's what they said. And as a culture, we halfway expect people to lie, don't we? That makes promises harder to believe, especially when we can't even imagine how it's possible to, to see them be kept. Let me have you ask yourself a question where you sit this morning. Do you sometimes find yourself kind of ignoring God's promises because he can't possibly mean what he says here. Or maybe you don't even listen to them just because promises no longer mean anything to you. I'll tell you what, it's time to start rereading the 7,487 promises that God makes to man. It's time to decide if you're willing to take God at his word, okay? A promise is hard to cling to sometimes. And for Abraham and for us, God knows that. And He gave Abraham something else. That's the next thing I want us to look at here. He gave him a sign because He understands our fears, He understands our questions. Like it says in Psalm 103, He remembers our frame, He knows that we are dust. Got up this morning. I could confirm that. Yep, I'm dust. And for all of his faith, Abraham, just like us, had limits. He could use some help, and God gave Abraham something to help him believe in and to visualize his promise. I read through this chapter, and as best as I can picture it, it it must have been about twilight. Kind of like uh, the the first few stars are starting to show up in the sky. Verse 5 he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So there, there's something for you to work on tonight. You know, the naked... I can see somewhere between 2,500 and 4,000 stars on a clear night. Give that a try sometime this week. Go outside when the stars are in the sky. I'm serious. Tip your head back, take a look upward, and become Abraham for a minute. And imagine looking heavenward like that and having God say to you, that is how many offspring you're going to have if you can actually count them. And this is just the very first of signs that God gave to Abraham along the way to help him. Every night, every time Abraham looked up, he would have this visual reminder to reaffirm to him and to remind him of God's promise. Every visible star in the heavens became a sign to Abraham. To help his faith. Do you realize that all along, God has been giving signs to us to help us to believe, to reaffirm the promises that he has made to us. It's not that mysterious. Put the rainbow in the sky. A promise that he would never flood the earth again. He put that there as a sign Jesus said, Consider the lilies of the field. Consider the ravens. Every time you see them, be reminded God will meet your needs. Then I look in scripture at the different times and it talks about the signs that God gives to his people. Isaiah 6, verse 14, the passage that we read around Christmas time. It basically says, God is saying, You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. A virgin is going to bear a son. Acts 2.22, Peter says to the Jews, Jesus was a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. There are three verses, 2 Corinthians 1.22, 2 Corinthians 5.5, Ephesians 1.14, where there is a word used to describe the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And it describes him as God's down payment. God's earnest money, a sign that God is going to follow through on what he has started in you. Every week here at Central Christian Church, just like we did this morning, we take in our hands a piece of bread, a small drink of grape juice, and among other things, that becomes a sign for us to remember God's promise through his son's death on the cross. You see, all along the way, along with his promises, God has been giving us signs to help us understand, to help us believe what he has promised. When Abraham looked up at the stars and listened to God, he put his hands in his robe pockets and he said, I believe it. And God credited that to him as righteousness. Boom! Righteousness. Look at the signs and believe. That's not that mysterious, is it? That's something to do this week. All right, God gave even more. Very much related to a sign, but even greater, God gave a covenant. Verse 7, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, "Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And I'm reminded of the story of a man who came to Jesus seeking help, and in his desperation, he said to Jesus, if there is anything that you can do, help us. Jesus said, if there's anything I can do, all things are possible for him who believes. And that father, in his struggle, says to him, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That reminds me of Abraham here. Abraham is this man of great faith. He believes God. He wants to believe God, but even then he doesn't understand the how of it. And Doubts plague his human mind that just can't see how it's humanly possible. I want to start reading here in verse 9. Try to visualize the description of this scene. It's a little odd. We'll talk about it. He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. You shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. That's kind of an odd scene, isn't it? This was a covenant ceremony. It's actually fairly common to the Chaldeans, the land that Abraham had come from. The technical term, by the way, was to cut a covenant. An animal or animals would be divided in half, and those slaughtered animals would be laid down, and the two parties of the covenant would go between them and pass between those slaughtered animals. It was a way of saying this is a very serious life-binding event that we are participating in. Look at verses 18 to 21. And for the very first time, God's promise to Abraham is now elevated to this level where he calls it a covenant. God has cut a covenant with Abraham. Now, I don't have the time to... Detail all the strength and all the details of a covenant, but let me say this Covenants are sworn by solemn oaths. They involve an exchange of life. They are for loyal sacrificial love they're permanent by design and They add a stronger binding dimension to relationships So this covenant is laid out by God In God's terms, not by mutual agreement, it's based on grace. It's not based on reciprocation. God doesn't gain anything in this that he doesn't already have. In fact, God is placing obligations on himself. God is binding himself. Abraham's the one who gets guaranteed wonderful things. Think about that. And still Abraham had to respond. Remember, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In this story, Abraham still had to get the animals, slaughter the animals, cut them, lay them out. He drove off the birds of prey. And as he continued down the road of life where God was sending him, Abram continued to believe God, continued to follow his lead. And even though he didn't fully understand, Abraham believed God. God, this covenant helped Abraham realize the reliability of God shouldn't be measured by man's limited possibilities. Abraham would have a son. Now think with me of another covenant that God has presented to everyone, not just Abraham. It's not only a promise, although it is, and it's backed up by signs, but it is also now a covenant sealed with precious blood. And we receive it in the very same way that Abraham was reckoned righteous in God's eyes, through faith. That is, we believe that God will do what God has said he will do. And our actions show that. Do you believe that God will do as he says? God says that he will punish sin. He says that the payment for sin, all sin, is death. Do you believe that? God says also that he sent his only son into the world, just like we heard from Steve a little bit earlier, to become sin on our behalf, so that we could be forgiven. Do you believe that? He promises to take us to be with him, everyone who has placed themselves under the powerful blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of his new covenant. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God will do as he says? You know, in Romans chapter 4, Paul looks back at this story of Abraham's life. And he says there in verse 7, a quote from Psalm 32, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. God has given us promises. He's given us the promise of salvation for those who accept him. There are a lot of people, by the way, who are banking on that promise. <laughs> I'm one of them. He's given us signs. He's given us these things to remind us of Him, to help us believe. The stars at night, the changing seasons, the power of storms, the songs of birds, a baby discovering the world. Those things aren't that crazy, are they? And even greater, he has given us a covenant sealed with the blood of his son. Everything that God promised and reaffirmed to Abraham led to this greatest covenant of all that you and I can be forgiven on the basis of the life that Jesus took and sacrificed on a cross. And just like Abraham, you respond if you believe, by accepting that sacrifice in your place. God is inviting you to do that today. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That can be you this morning if you haven't made that decision, if you haven't stepped forward to say, I believe these things about God and I want to make them mine I want to be a part of God's new covenant. I want to be forgiven because he's offered that to me. You can have that this morning. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. If you believe God this morning, there's a response for you to make. There's something for you to do. You too can have the credit of righteousness that God has for you. If you're ready to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, that's what you need to do. You need to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and and step into this covenant that God has laid out the terms for you to walk in. If you're ready to do that, we're ready to help you begin that relationship with him today. It means saying goodbye to an old way of life. The Bible calls it repenting. You turn around from the direction you're headed, you go the other way. God has called you to do that. It means confessing or acknowledging that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. Acknowledging that you need his forgiveness. It means being baptized into Christ. That's something else that God has given us as a part of becoming his followers. And if you haven't done those things, this morning we want to encourage you again. That's something you need to do. If you're here in person, we can do that today. And I'm going to be down here at the front afterwards. Uh, we've got a one-hour break in between this worship time and our second worship time. Guess what we could do in an hour? Well. We could look at God's word together. We could talk about your salvation. We could make arrangements for you to start this walk of faith today. If you're online and you've got questions or you've got a decision to make now, would you be in contact with us? We always have somebody online who is there hosting and communicating. Would you communicate with us today out there in cyberland? Uh, because you're a real person. You're not just out there in cyberland, and you need to begin this relationship with Jesus if you haven't done that. Let's stand up together. We're going to pray, and we're going to get ready to decide what we will do with God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this story, but even more so, thank you today for the way these things are a part of our lives too. For your very great and precious promises. Uh, So many, Lord, that we couldn't begin to speak all of them today. For your uh, signs that you give us along the way that reaffirm to us and help us to understand that your word is true. And Father, thank you for the covenant bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The very thing that we needed, that we need this day. And Father, I pray that you will help us to walk as covenant people who have entered into this very important and life-changing relationship. We need this from you. So Father, help us now to make choices, to make decisions that will bring us close to you, that will make us in a right relationship with you so that we too will have this credit of righteousness in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.